Good morning. Say amen, church. Yeah. Did you know you have a building? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again. But I'm going away to get your building ready for you. We have another building eternal in the heavens that is not made with hands. The Bible, when it speaks of that, speaks of this earthly house, of this tabernacle, which will eventually dissolve. And then the soul, which never dies, will go on to face the judgment. Thank God for you, for your attendance today. I used to be concerned about people who aren't here more than I, are, I am about those who are, but I want you to know I've learned to be concerned about those who show up and let those who don't take care of their business, and that's between them and their God. So thank God that we're able to be here today. I'm just glad to be anywhere, and I'm glad that I'm feeling well enough to be here and to take part in the worship service of our God. We can't do anything that's more important than what we're doing right now. And the thing is, we have to get excited about the good news that we have received so that we can then want to share it with others. Generally, if people have good news, they find somebody else to share it with. Generally. But it seems that when it comes to spiritual things, Everybody's so busy working on their own thing that they forget what has brought us here in the first place. What made me walk down an aisle like this somewhere and accept Christ? Well, it was the good news that I found out about. The gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus all on my behalf to remit my sins and your sins. And when that excitement finally hits you're going to share this with somebody hopefully it'll be before the Lord comes because I don't know if you realize it or not but you can't go to heaven by yourself you can't go to heaven by yourself you got to do some things all right and one of those things is the Lord taught us to go out and to teach others now we don't draw them that's God's part but we do plant and water. That's our part in the salvation process. So don't, don't make fun of or light of our part. Because God is not going to give the increase. Listen well, Roosevelt City. God is not going to increase us unless we plant and water. He's not going to put step three before one and two because we lazy. The word hadn't changed one bit. And I guarantee you, because I have that kind of confidence in God, that if we'll plant and water, he will give the increase. I believe that today. He hasn't stopped giving the increase. He hasn't lost his power to give the increase. And I want you to know that even as we speak here this morning, there are plenty of places where people are planting and water and are receiving the rewards of that. People are coming. People are excited. 
I wish that if you've never been to the Bible Bowl, I wish that you'd put that on your schedule this year. Not so much because of the number of people who come and the kids who have prepared, but just to be in an environment where 1,500 people or 2,000 people who don't even know each other from all areas everywhere, but while they're there, there is this spirit of one accord. Everybody wants to see the children do well. That's what we're there for. And to be in that kind of environment where everybody's mind is centered on the same thing and to be with them for three and four hours, you come back on a high. You know, but if you stay around people who act like they've been sucking on lemons all day and persimmons, is that persimmons that we used to, that's bitter? Yeah, you come around looking like you've been sucking on persimmons all day and then wonder why folk don't get happy when you walk in. Well, we need to start saying some things to each other to encourage one another. We need to stop being so aloof with one another, so sophisticated, controlled, and we need to say some things to each other that are encouraging. If somebody needs to smile, you show them how one looks. Don't just go up asking questions. Show them how it looks. Whatever it is you're trying to give, don't talk it. Walk it. Act it. Be it. And the other thing is the honesty to say, if you're not with it, I ain't with it. Because God respects that more than he does somebody who's trying to be with it, but is not with it. He said, I wish you'd just be hot or cold with me. He already knows what we are. He said, because your lukewarmness makes me sick. Decide. What are you going to do? You're going to do this or you're not going to do this? And God is prepared for whatever your answer is. The question is, are you prepared to face the truth about yourself? Lord have mercy, I don't even know how I got it. That, that the Spirit just moved me to say that because I get so tired. Lord have mercy, I don't know if I have a right to get tired, but I do. I get tired of feeling like when I get into the pulpit or when I come to this place that something spectacular is going to have to happen before we show a little excitement. How come you don't bring that with you? Why you drive all the way over here mad at the world? I don't get it. There are a few places I don't like to go because they're not good places for me. I, I don't like to get no letters from the IRS. I don't like to deal with the IRS. Just don't like it. So I don't walk up in the IRS office with a grin on my face. But there are some other things I do like doing. And one of those things 
It is to bring joy to other people. Now I try to do that wherever I am. And I, I just thank God for you being here. But we need to work on us a little bit. And what it is that truly brings us to this place every Sunday. Mm. I came in today to talk to you about courage. Courage. I guess that's what this has to do with what I just said. Because courage involves honesty with who you are. We're, we're looking this morning at Acts chapter 5. And Brother Gibson and I are working on this on Sundays, he in the class and me in the pulpit, and we're trying to kind of move together. Sometimes we'll jump ahead of each other or lag behind, but all of it is, 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 is making sense to you, I hope. That this church, of which we are descendants, started in Acts chapter 2. And it started with 3,120 people. And it grew by leaps and bounds as each chapter unfolds, they've reached 5,000 and, and more and more people are coming to the Lord. But I want us to focus this morning on what was bringing these people to the Lord. The Lord was involved in the plan. And if we are to grow, whether it's numerically or spiritually, God must be in the plan. So, it, so, so as we study these passages, I must understand that Peter and John are paramount in these first few chapters of the book of Acts. And they are our example of what courage looks like under fire. If you want to know how we ought to act as Christians under fire, then studying Peter and John will help us to do that. But it was all because of the Spirit of God. I just want you to look at this morning how the Spirit of God is working with the church in what they do. Now, I, I want to start by defining courage this morning. There are many definitions of courage. One is the ability to do something that frightens you. If you can do that, that's called courage. I think Sister Trina just went through that not long ago. I don't know if she was downright scared, but she flew for the first time. And generally, when people fly for the first time, they're a little jittery, you know what I'm saying? Some people take pills to just knock them out for the whole flight. And when she got back, I said, well, Trina, how'd you do? She said, I did quite well. It was better than I thought it was. But she was frightened, but she, because of the importance of where she was going and what she was going for, she booed up her courage and said, I'm going to go, I'm going to take this plane ride. All right? The one that we want to use this morning in our scriptural text is one that means strength in the face of pain and grief. How do you act when you're under attack? How do you act when you are grieving? How do you act when people are causing you pain or discomfort? Some of the synonyms for courage are words like audacity, 
boldness, valor, fearlessness. Lord have mercy. Where the fearless folk? <laughs> you remember when God was getting Gideon's army ready for the battle, the first category of people he sent home was those who were scared. The Bible says when he gave them that option, and that's a good thing. Look, that's where God started, so that was the place to start. I know you got 100,000 people out there, Gideon, but tell them I said everybody who's scared needs to go back to the house. We're going to fight this one without you because, see, you're going to get in the way and get some folk killed because you're a coward. This is not your battle. Go home. And the Bible says 21,000 went home. Now, don't you think that took courage for them to say, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm scared as I can be. Thank you for giving me that option. I'm so scared I don't know what to do. And I'm going to pray for y'all, but I'm going to go to the house. <laughs> See, what they're saying is I'm going to get out of your way. Scared folk ought to get out of the way. Somebody said if you're scared, say you're scared. And get on out of the way. Well, the Bible speaks of many courageous men and women. But this morning, we're going to focus on Peter and John again. Because they are, in my way of thinking, the dynamic duo in the early life of the church. And the Holy Spirit emboldened them to do what they did. Now, let me, let me show you how this is your lesson, and it's practical and personal for everybody. There are things in life that are hard to do, but if they are important enough, and if they are right, we do them anyway. Mm -hmm. Our prayers don't always turn out the way we want them to. The response to our prayer, the answer to our prayers, don't always come when we want them to, but we keep praying anyway. There are sacrifices that we are called upon to make that we may find inconvenient or costly. But if we realize we've been called to do it, We'll do it anyway. There are callings where people leave home and family and the security of their lives here to go where God leads them even if they can't see a step in front of them. But because of their faith, they do it anyway. That's what I want to key in on this morning. Because the apostles especially these two, were men who, even though they were opposed for teaching the truth and the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, they did it anyway. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The courage to do stuff anyway. In spite of What's going on around? I'm so glad these men were the kind of men they were because I don't know the, where the church would be. 
if they weren't those kind of men. Now, let me just say this to you. The setting I want to look at closely, and then the challenge, and then the response, and what it all means for us today. We know that as, as a result of this reading this morning and what we dealt with last week, that beginning with around verse 15 and 16, the setting, and I want you to imagine this, is an extravaganza of healing is taking place. And it all started because of the healing of one man. I want you to notice when it happened in the scheme of things. As Peter and John are leaving the bulk of the Christians in Jerusalem and going to the temple with the intention of teaching, the Lord's plan was, I'm going to get you an audience there. And the way he chose to get the audience there was to have Peter and John heal a man who would then go through the city shouting and leaping and jumping about the healing he had received. Consequently, when folk heard about that, they came running. They wanted to know. We know you've been lame for 40 years. What happened and who did it? Probably some of them wanted to know, what do I have to do to get healed? Can I pay for it? How did you get it? And as those people came, Peter and John took the opportunity to show their boldness in obeying God rather than me. Because those people stood and watched Peter and John defy the high priest. They watched them defy the council by saying things to them like, whether you think it's good or bad for us to do what we're doing really doesn't matter to us. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. And that's all we're going to say to you about that. Now, the, the very man that you've taken with your cruel hands and crucified, you know, see, he didn't have to say that. He'd already said it before. But every time they're defiant, they come right back to the reason for the defiance. The God who has taken Jesus from your wicked hands, the one that you murdered and, and buried, God has raised him up. And the Sadducees were going crazy because they don't believe in the resurrection. So you can just see them while Peter and John were preaching, seething, wanting to do something to them. Talking about the resurrection of the day. Peter and John didn't get any more any less bold than they had been. They were like saying, yeah, that's what we said. And we'll say it again. That same Jesus that you crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ. And you're going to have to give an account of the things you've done. These folk were so mad that they called Peter and John aside initially and threatened. They said, we don't want to hear anything more about Jesus in this city. Now, who could have a problem with good being done? That lets you know right there something is wrong. Somebody has been healed and they get mad. What's wrong with you? 
You're not trying to find this man and say, congratulations, I got some pain and aches myself. Can you tell me what they did? Rather than do that, they were so caught up in themselves and how it was affecting their lifestyle that they said to Peter and John, do it some more. Keep preaching in this name and see what happens. And Peter and John, in essence, said, we'll do just that. Because time they finished threatening them, the Bible says the word had gotten out that some healing was happening in Jerusalem. The scripture says that people came from neighboring cities. The closest one was Ramlah, which was 23 miles away. The furthest one was in the northern and the southern district around Jerusalem, which may have been up to 78 miles away. So people are hearing about this healing that's going on. And they say, well, we got some sick friends and neighbors and loved ones. I'm sick myself. Let's go. Let's go to where the healing is taking place. And the Bible says they were just flooding into Jerusalem. The Bible says that it was so many of them. And, and that when they came, the scripture says they were healed. Not just one or two of them. See, when you go to these healing services, they pick out one that nobody knows. Ain't from the area. Don't nobody know him from a can of paint. Roll him in in a wheelchair, and he sit up there and tell folks, I ain't been able to walk for 10 years. I'd like to question that person sometime. Have you tried to get up? Because that may be your only problem. See, because people, I've learned, just as we did in this instance, when, when, when this man was healed, eventually he came back. That lame man came back to that same area, trying to lay back out on his mat again. Because, see, now he got to go to work. He didn't get no handouts. Now he got to go to work. And when it hits him, he wants to go back to now being sick. So he can just lay at the temple gate. Jesus said, oh, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Take up your mat, walk, and go and get a job. Nobody's going to keep taking care of you. So here we have all these people in Jerusalem who are looking to be healed. <coughs> Peter was the chief spokesman. So the people believed that the power was in him. So much so that people from surrounding cities started bringing their sick loved ones and their friends to be healed. Some believed that if they could just stand so that the shadow of Peter would fall on them, they would be healed. Now the scriptures doesn't say that's what happened. The scripture says that's what they believed. Because Peter was so powerful. Now remember, Peter and John were there when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Because they lied. So you can imagine the stamina, the kind of statue rather, that Peter and John carried with these people. They said, man, y'all got power over death? Life, you can heal folk? So folks started coming out of the mountains. Coming to sit at the feet of Peter. And some of them said, I'll never get to him. So let me just hope I can stand. 
where when the cat, when the sun uh, cast a shadow, that I could just stand in that shadow. And maybe something in that shadow will heal me. You know, that's where this Pope thing comes from. You ever seen the Pope riding in his Pope mobile? And he goes like that to the crowd. There are people who believe that if you are within that, if you are in the crowd, and if you are within that, when he puts his hands down like that, you're going to get a blessing. It's a sure. So you can see people kind of, you know what I'm saying? Depending on where he's going to stop, they trying to be in, in, in that right there. Because, see, that's the blessing right there. And every now and then, he'll stop and kiss a baby. And they'll say, oh, bless his heart. He's blessed for the rest of his life. I want you to know that's not biblical, folks. That's not, that's not biblical. Peter is not the ancestor of the Pope. He is not and never was the first Pope. He wasn't called a Pope. But the first Pope was called a Pope. Papa. Our Father. God's representative to man on earth. The biggest lie that's ever been told. And people eat it up. I don't know why it is, but we don't like to heap praise on people. But for those who have been heaped with it, we look up to them. Powerful people. Powerful. We, our whole attitude changes when powerful people walk in. When Michael Jackson walked on the stage, some young girls would just faint. They done paid $75 to see this man. And when he walked on the stage, they out for the whole concert. That's what power and attraction does to you. There's some folk who can't hear the gospel right because they're too wrapped up in the preaching. Girl, I sure like the way he dressed. Did you see them cufflinks? Ain't he stylish? And miss the gospel message altogether. I got a little bit of courage. I got sense enough not to run up against a lion. But I got enough sense to preach the truth even when it hits me. Now listen, the setting is what we just talked about. Now, the threats continue, and the threat was issued again to them because they wouldn't stop. So they threatened them not only with jail in verse 18, but they threatened their lives. That was the situation. Here's the challenge to either stop teaching in the name of Jesus or stay in jail and possibly die. Can you imagine that as an option? You're going to keep teaching in the name of Jesus. These folk have told you, don't say nothing else in his name in this city. And we're willing to kill you over it. Peter and John didn't even miss a step. They said, all we can tell you is what we've already told you. And that is, it, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
That's clear enough, isn't it? We ought to obey God, not you. I know y'all in charge here in the city, but our boss doesn't reside on earth. We're not taking any orders from you. And they had the kind of attitude that said, you don't tell us what to do. Lord have mercy, we need Christians today who won't let other folk dictate to them what kind of Christian they ought to be. We need to be courageous enough. Thank God. This is what it all means for us today. Thank God Peter and John were not mealy-mouthed, coward Christians who were easy to shut down by threats and even imprisoned. Lord have mercy. If some of us have been here, we did. Hey, they said, don't do it no more. Fold up the tent. We going back home. I can see some of us saying that now. But they talking about putting us in jail. Do you understand that? Jail! Let's go. We'd have been meeting that. Okay, well, we ain't nothing we can do until the Lord moves. Peter and John ain't care nothing about threats. They didn't care nothing about prison. Because God had already shown them who's in charge. You don't have to worry about nothing. I'm running this. Thank God these men weren't cowardly. Could you imagine the state of the Lord's church if Peter and John had turned and run away when threatened or imprisoned or criticized? God knew who to put out in front. He put some men who wasn't taking no wooden nickels. They tell you to shut up. He said, I can't help but talk about Jesus. When they tell you we're going to put you in prison, they said, put us in. We'll sing praises to him while we're there. They did put him in prison. But the Bible says when night fell, God dispatched an angel from heaven. See what God will do. Look, 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 look. You don't even have to know it's an angel. They ain't got to have no angel written on his forehead. But what it's telling us is that God, in an appropriate way, opens doors. Creates opportunities for those who believe in it. And who want to do what's right. You wonder why all the stuff that looks so good to you keep folding Maybe it's because your only emphasis is you. Ain't got nothing to do with the one who's making it possible. Nothing to do with the one who's making it possible. I got to end. Thank God these men were not scared to tell the good news and do what's right in the face of trouble. I'm here to tell you today that there are times when Christians are well within their godly rights to be disobedient, to be stubborn, to be belligerent, and to be downright disagreeable. There is a time when every Christian ought to be belligerent about something. The leader said, shut up! Peter and John said, no, uh -uh. it's not going to happen. They said, we're going to put you in prison. They said, not going to happen. 
We will not remain silent. Now, what does that have to do with us today? Well, here it is. So often, we're obedient at the wrong times and for the wrong reasons. I know obedience is supposed to be a Christian quality. But there are sometimes we ought to be disobedient. Obstinate. I found that we give in too easily when hurt or threatened or intimidated. We remain silent when we should be talking. We are too quick to shut down. Please hear this one. We are too quick to shut down when people disagree with us or criticize something we're doing. You can be doing a good work. And because you don't get the attention of a certain person, well, I'm just going to shut this down then. Really? I'm in the midst of doing a good work, but folk are criticizing me, so I guess I'll just fold up my little bag and go home. Thank God you weren't there in the first century. There is a time for us, and that's when we're having to deal with each other. When you're, you're, you're trying to do the best you can, and somebody comes up and says something crazy to you, because they don't know. That's not the time to get mad and say, well, I'll show them. I'll just fold up my stuff and stop doing anything. Well, who are you hurting? You hurting the church. You hurting yourself. We need to think like Peter and John. They had a do-it-anyway kind of mentality. As long as I know what I'm doing is right and it's good, I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. Let's stop being so quick to just throw our hands up because somebody doesn't like what we do. I'm not going to stop preaching because you don't like the way I preach. I'm going to get some acceptance. This is me. Only thing you need to be concerned about is am I sticking with this right here? And as long as I'm doing that, I don't have to preach like anybody else. And I'm not going to be deterred because you don't like it. I'm not folding up my tip. I'm not stopping my good works because you got a problem with me. That, that goes along with the lesson, doesn't it? One more thing here. And I, I'm almost where I need to be. There are some whose lives are based on people telling them what they cannot do or better not do. You know, there's some of you sitting in here. I was talking with somebody not long ago who said, my motivation in life is for somebody to tell me what I can't do. Some of you sitting here right now. That's what drives me. I wish somebody would tell me I can't finish college. I'll show them. And all you got to do is tell me I can't do it. That's our motto. Tell me what I can't do and I'll prove you wrong every time. Except when it comes to us in the church. 
We don't say, you'll never encourage anybody. And they say, oh, I'll show you. We don't ever say, well, I, I, I'm going to be involved in everything the church has going on because I love the church. And somebody say, you ain't going to do nothing. And you use that as incentive to say, I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you eat those words. I've heard those words with everything except church. There's some Christians that you can't stop from talking unless they're talking about Jesus. You get them out somewhere, they talk so much, you have to say, would you let somebody else say something? But then when it comes to talking about Jesus, they mum. We need a do it anyway kind of mentality. When folk criticize you for doing good, do it anyway. When folk get mad at you for being involved, do it anyway. Don't be so quick to throw up your hands and say, well, you know they don't like what I'm doing, so I'm gonna go on to the house. Pitiful as a Christian. I want you to take these words and apply them to yourself, just like I'm applying them to myself. Because we can do better, Roosevelt City. We can do better. But we're not going to do better with 12 people out of 80 working. Just, it, it ain't designed to work like that. Oh, God is going to make it work. But I'm just concerned about whether you're concerned about going to heaven. See, because that's what this is all about. Not who I worked with or didn't work with. Do you want to go to heaven is the question. Now, if you don't want to go, you need to withdraw. You need to withdraw. They won't even let you go in the army on the battlefield if you don't want to be out there. That's why they have what's called conscientious objective. If you don't want to shoot nobody, they don't want you beside them in the box hole. And I don't blame I wouldn't want you beside me either. We here to fight, and if you don't want to fight, then stay at, you know, get a desk and then just, you, they got some of those in service, don't they, Jerry? People have to work behind the desk, never see any action. They just may sit out the bullets, but they don't never see any action, you know? Everybody in the church needs to see some action. And I'll tell you when we're going to start to move out. I got that. Perfect answer for when we're going to start to move out as a church. When you start. That's it. If you're here and you heard this this morning, you can appreciate it. I appreciate you. Let's be serious about this because our souls are at stake. If you believe the word of God, then act on that by repenting of your past life, your actions, especially those that haven't been in keeping with what we teach. Be willing to repent and confess Christ as Lord to the glory and honor of the Father and be willing to be baptized and added to the body of Christ. There is no salvation apart from baptism. You can't make it work any kind of way. Sprinkling won't do it. Pouring won't do it. 
And you got to be baptized after you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Now I say that because if that's not what you did, you may not even be in the body, though you think you are. The Lord doesn't have a grandfather clause where you didn't do what was right to get into the church the first time around, but after you've been there for 20 years, they just kind of grandfather you into the church. Folks, that's not biblical teaching. If you didn't obey from the heart, if you didn't obey understanding what this was all about, you may need to be rebaptized because there is only one true baptism, and that's the one that adds you to the body of Christ. Now, only you and God know the answer to that little puzzle. You got to question yourself. Did I really understand what I was doing when I obeyed the gospel, when I walked out and was baptized? Has anything changed in my life to suggest that I'm a Christian? Only you can answer those questions, and God knows the answer, and he's going to hold us responsible. The message is yours as we come right now and give you the opportunity to respond.